Welcome to Actually Best Choice Movies, the world's only movie podcast. Uh, I'm one of your hosts. My name is Chris Chafin. And I am not interrupting because it's hard to over the internet. I'm Caleb Shively. Right. So welcome. This is our second uh, socially distanced edition. Uh, Caleb's calling in, but this time with a proper microphone. And I will say, Caleb, good job. It sounds a lot better. Thank you. Uh, Shout out to Amazon. Shout out to Zoom. Shout out to the internet at large. I don't know, Caleb. There's uh, there's lots of shit on the internet. You want to give a shout out to the internet at large, like including yeah, all man. parts of the internet. Uh, the uh, the right wing militias who organize uh, hate crimes over it. Yeah. Yeah. Child porn. Oh my, I mean, it's, yeah. oh my gosh, we went so dark right away. Yeah. Welcome to the show, everybody. So every week on Actually Vestuates Movies, we talk about uh, two films. One of them is old, and one of them is new, and they sort of complement each other like uh, two best friends. Uh, would you say so? Two. Two best friends who are actually sisters, uh, so they are always uh, connected. Okay. I don't think that makes sense. That does not track at all. No. It made me, like, choke on how little it made sense. Yeah. I don't think they sometimes connect in a way that we don't even get sometimes. But there is, like, a bit of a connection. Well, it's because we're plugged into the zeitgeist. Like, we're just plugged into the zeitgeist. And so they make sense in, like, emotional, poetic ways that even it's hard to articulate. That's true. Uh, this is a good one. This current episode, you're, which you're listening to right now, uh, as there's not that many movies out, there is some movies out that you could stream. Uh, currently, a reduced price on Amazon. We're uh, doing Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always uh, from 2020 this year, uh, last week. Uh, 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 and we're pairing it with uh, Obvious Child, uh, the 2014 film. Uh, so anyway, that's all this week on Actually Best Choice Movies. Best Choice Movies. So, but before we get to any of that, uh, Caleb, what have you been watching this week, my friend? Well, from our predetermined conversation, uh, there was Please, you're a... tipping our hand, Caleb, please. <laughs> we have... Four hands. Uh, on HBO, uh, which is a prominent uh, provider of entertainment, and during this time, uh, they bought a movie from, uh, I believe it was at Toronto last year, or maybe even just Sundance this year, but it was a, a big movie at the festival that they bought and did not put in, no plans to put in theaters, and it's called uh, Bad Education. Uh, they've done this before. They did it with last year with The Tale, which it was at Sundance. It was that Laura Dern movie. Uh, and there was actually like a little bit of buzz around Laura Dern for award season, but then HBO bought it, uh, and there was like, okay, we're not going to give it any more Oscar buzz. Uh, and this was like a similar situation with uh, Hugh Jackman uh, has a stars in uh, Bad Education, which you can watch currently on HBO. Uh, and Chris, you watched this as well, right? Yeah, so, I mean, just to like back up like a tiny bit, like, yeah, Bad <laughs> Education, let <laughs> say something about like the plot of the movie instead of just its reception at in the film industry. Uh, oh, that's it, what I care about. Yeah, well, I mean, it's what I care about, but I feel this like duty to talk about the <laughs> plot for some reason. It's the true story. It's a story of like an upstate New York school where there was this crazy corruption scandal where it turned out $11 million had been embezzled from the school by, you know, several different school officials. And the main character is uh, the principal who's played by Hugh Jackman. 
and uh, like Allison Janney has a, is like his works with him and is also embezzling lots of money. And it's the movie sort of makes her like the less sympathetic one and makes him, you know, he he's not just the main character, but we do really feel for him as, as a character. They, it presents him as someone who is trying to do the right thing and is really dedicated to children and then like also embezzled $11 million. <laughs> like, you know, like that was just like part yeah, of his. Yeah, they don't think those things like are, opposites they think of like they're both on the same scale of how this man operates and, and he's outstanding in this movie uh and we don't want to spoil uh bad education too much because oh i'm sorry did, did that count as a spoiler i mean i figure it's a true story like i mean it's a true story so if you have uh the internet which has wikipedia you could read about it uh but i guess to to spoil a little bit is how good he is in this movie he's amazing he's he is, so he's, so good uh, in this movie such uh, like I I, I I was gonna say that he if this was in a uh, theater or if eligible like it's uh, the academy did change uh, eligibility rules, uh, but this still is this it's HBO count. it yeah. does not count. Uh, but yeah, it's he, eligible he, for Emmys. Amazing. He'll probably win an Emmy for this. Yeah, he should win an Emmy for and this. a Golden Globe, right? Uh, maybe he'll host it. He's a great host of things. He's, he's a great. A, he's a great. He's just an entertainer. Do you know what I mean? Three he's time like, Tony he's a host. pure entertainer. Hugh Jackman. Not a bad Oscar host, which is a very thankless thing to do. Uh, I, I, a lot of people have been saying it's a career high for Hugh Jackman. I kind of uh, think it is. I yeah, uh, I, I was trying to, uh, like, I looked over the course of his things. I'm not a huge X-Men fan. Uh, I do like those. I mean, Logan, I you like got to admit, Logan yeah. is like a really good Logan's movie. really good. Uh, I would say, uh, like, Prisoners, that Denny Villain Away movie uh, mm. that he was in. I also and and I am wrong, so please feel free to stop me. Uh, Kate and Leopold, he is actually uh, pretty charming. Like he's Wait, very which, good. In that which movie. one is Kate and Leopold again? Is that is that, it's uh, like Meg a Ryan period meets piece, someone right? who comes? Oh uh, no, it's set in the modern times, but he is from like the Middle Ages or eighteen hundreds or something. Yeah, he's he like a gentleman gets from the past, transported right? to the to the present day, and it's a rom com with a. Where am I? You're still in New York. That sure is not New York! I'm afraid it is. So you must be Sergeant Pepper. But he has that, uh, and, and as well in Bad Education, he has this charm that just masks an intensity. Like, he's such a charming, dapper man. Then, like, he'll sneak in that little scariness, which is all what, uh, Logan and all his action stuff is. I mean, is really, it's it's acting. amazing if you look at Hugh Jackman and you understand him as like a person who loves musical theater, like he loves to sing, and he's like he's not particularly in his natural state like that, like a huge of a guy, and he seems very funny and personable and empathetic, and that is how he seems in this movie. Like the fact that he was Wolverine for like a decade, actually more than a decade, is like fucking wild. Like, mm-hmm. how in the world did he become this person? It's really, it's, mm-hmm. it's the remarkable part isn't that he plays Wolverine. So it isn't that he like brings pathos and interesting emotions to Wolverine. It's that he could become a guy who looks like an action star. <laughs> like that's the most impressed. That's like fucking like Daniel Day Lewis level stuff. He gained like a must. He must have gained like two hundred pounds of muscle to be Wolverine, yeah. which he like <laughs> immediately loses. You know, like the second he's not Wolverine. Um, like that's uh, fucking actually- wild to me, dude. Uh, I was just going to say on X-Men that it's a huge ensemble because it's like 30 superheroes, but he stands out in those very, very easily, oh which God. is not easy thing to do. Well, like, cause mostly uh, the X-Men movies are terrible and he's like, I mean, they have yes, Patrick true. Stewart is in them, like, but somehow he's doing as a huge Star Trek fan, like this is sacrilege to me to say, but he does better in those movies than Patrick Stewart. I feel like 
Because Patrick Stewart isn't is he's on a different level, you know. Well, he's on the perfect level as Wolverine. They do get really good actors, like Alan Cumming as Nightcrawler. Yeah, and Uh, you know what's his face as Magneto? Um, Magneto, Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen. Yeah, I actually forgot that those two famous best friends are in the X Men movies. Honestly, until this second, I totally forgot that. As best friends, yeah, 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 Magneto. Yeah, that's good. I think I, I I I saw someone on Twitter who had like a whole pitch for a TV show, and I'm forgetting all the details. But the the essence of it was that um, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen are like, I think they're supposed to be like an old married couple, and then Patrick Stewart is like solving mysteries for the police on the sly somehow, and he's always tricking Ian McKellen into like driving him to a crime scene or something. And I was like, this is a, an amazing pitch, and I would love to see this show. Well, they both have pretty good. TV careers, uh, Blunt Talk, that Patrick Stewart show, and then that PBS show with Ian McKellen where he's just insulting his uh, his husband the whole time. I just am amazed that you would bring up Patrick Stewart in television and go to Blunt Talk like you're what, ignoring Star <laughs> Trek? Like, what the fuck, Caleb? Like, what the honest fuck, you know? It's the only the thing that uh, made him an international superstar for the rest of his life. I mean, no big deal, you know? Well, uh, Star Trek, and I think you'd agree with me, transcends television. Yeah, it's true. It also, it's also films and novels and uh, comic books and <laughs> action uh, figures. There's a great line of ceramic plates I've seen in Star Trek. There is. I saw those at a Star Trek convention. Um, but I feel like we've gotten pretty far away from bad education. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's which talk ca- about bad education. I do want to yeah. say a couple things about it. I was thinking about this movie because it's a movie about a real life scandal. Okay. And that's kind of a genre of movie, right? It's like a movie about a real life scandal. Like sure. I'm thinking of. Uh, what is it called glass like is, is the movie just called glass um uh, shattered glass shattered glass yeah yeah with Star hayden christensen yeah and yeah. then like even like the insider maybe um sure. and then i mean there's lots of other aaron brockovich like what are other ones that i'm missing I okay think I've, I, the first one that came to my head was like hotel rwanda which is you know, like a <laughs> This is not a scandal. It's not a scandal. I mean, it's a tragedy, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was trying to think, like, like what well, is the, the thing about this genre of movie? Because it it's really captures you and it captures the public attention in a certain way. But they, they never exactly are, like, great films, I guess. They're kind of like, I mean, they are great movies that are enjoyable to watch. But you don't really think of them as being, like, examples of amazing cinema exactly. I mean, maybe people do. I guess what they are a lot of times is, like, showcases for actors. Like, the yeah, person who's the main character it really gets to, like really gets to do something, you know? It is a certain type of writing, like how there is distinction between original screenplay and adapted screenplay. Uh, and this type of writing blurs the line, because I think if it's based off of another work, like an article, I believe uh, Bad Education was based off of two separate articles. Uh, like a like school that's adapted, newspaper but, article, right? <laughs> Isn't it partially based but on But there is like, uh, based on true stories that are eligible for uh, original screenplay just because like oh just taking what that truth is like a sentence in the world that yeah, right. exists, just, this adapt. truth just exists it's not based <laughs> yeah. on a particular book or something right? so there is like a, a a writer sense to it which is you know how films start is just yeah, through the on the page the writer's the page. idea yeah Oh, sorry. Did you have more to say about that? I was. Uh, no, I was just trying to think of more movies because I, I did so poorly at that. <laughs> True life scandal movies. I mean, what else? <laughs> I guess there must be a oh, like. Would like, you... I don't know if we talk about like politics because I'm like all the presidents men. All the presidents men. Yeah, I think that counts. Although that is an yeah. example of one that's like a great. I guess that's a great film, but to me, that's not exactly what I think of. Yeah, when I think of I, cinema. I, 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 Do you know what I mean? Me neither. Yeah. It's like a '90s Pelican Brief type shit. Yeah, right. Well, that's because I don't think Pelican Brief is like that. It's not a true story. Pelican Brief is true. Yeah, I don't think it's true. true (laughs) It's based on like a John Grisham book, I think. I thought you'd tell me to cook the numbers or shred something or do some 
Pelican Brief stuff. Why is everyone talking about that movie? It's been playing on Showtime. Kenneth, get me Showtime. What? Why now? But anyway, I mean, it's, it's really great. I was really pleasantly surprised. And right, you know, now that it's this movie theaters are closed for maybe forever question mark um it is it's one of the better new things that you can stream uh right now it's on hbo it premiered as we record this last saturday i guess two saturdays ago for you guys and uh you know i would highly recommend checking it yeah, out Yeah, if you, uh, you should do it you're not, you're not doing anything else oh uh, wait you could join in this conversation about hugh jackman we're having i did want to say one more thing about it very mm-hmm. quickly which was just one of the interesting points the movie makes and without spoiling it okay is um so it takes place on a very wealthy part of long island and one of the points of view that the movie articulates is like all these people on Long Island who live there, who send their kids to the school are like filthy rich. They're all so rich. Okay. They're, you know, they all work in like real estate or like God knows what. Right. And they all just have a huge amount of money. Right. And, but they spend all their time like bothering the school and like having all these conferences and trying to get their kids to succeed and like screaming at the teachers. And the movie kind of makes the argument of like, you know, you expect so much from teachers and from schools and they're so important to everyone in the town, but like you don't make any amount of money, like not compared to a real rich person, like a lawyer or a doctor or a fancy real estate agent. And it, so it's almost like the movie is saying like, given the good they're doing for society, aren't these people entitled to this much money? Like if it's really not hurting anyone in a certain way, if they're just stealing it from like the big pot of money that exists for the government, like is is this bad? You know, like, is it, isn't it worse that someone can make a huge amount of money doing something that like doesn't help anyone? (laughs) Like at least they're helping people like a lot, you know, they're just also stealing money at the same time. So I thought that was interesting. Can I say one more thing about, that? I really liked uh, Ray Romano in uh, this movie. He's he's uh, I believe his name is big Bob. And he has, uh, you know, we're, if we're speaking of actors renaissance, he's going through a little bit of a oh my God, right. moment after uh, the Irishman. Irishman. Yeah. Uh, check out Pendleton, which is on Netflix. Uh, I really liked him and that. It's a darker movie that he gets to do. I feel like Ray Romano has been going through kind of a renaissance for like a number of years, but then he just keeps like having missteps and does things that like actually aren't yeah. very good. But then he'll do something that's that... like amazing and you're like, oh, right. Okay. He's great. Uh, it didn't uh, Holly Hunter got the Oscar nom from it, or I don't think she got, but she got the Oscar buzz for it. But the dad in the big sick, he, I was like, a Oh perfect yeah. Role for oh, he's great in the big sick. He's so like good, so yeah. good in that movie. Yeah. He lands a, a, a an iconic nine 11 joke. <laughs> I forget. I forget what it is. So, uh, nine 11. No, I mean, I've always wanted to have a conversation with, about it with people. You've never talked to people about 9-11? The first movie we're going to talk about this week is 2020's Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. I didn't see you at school today. I went to the doctor. What's wrong? Girl problems. Don't you ever just wish you were a dude? All the time. This is the most magical sound you will ever hear. Down beneath the ashes and I'm just not ready to be a mom. Where else could you go? Nowhere in Pennsylvania. I think you should try another place. 
Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always is the new film from writer-director Eliza Hittman, uh, whose film output has focused almost exclusively on sexually precarious teenagers. Uh, her other films are 2017's Beach Rats and 2013's It Felt Like Love. She's also directed some high-maintenance episodes. So this movie, Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, uh, it's won awards at Sundance and the Berlin Film Festival. It's basically like the modern odyssey of a young teenage girl named Autumn who lives in rural Pennsylvania and who has to travel all the way to Manhattan to get an abortion. And she goes with her cousin, uh, who's like the same age, basically. It's told in excruciating detail. Um, the, a prize it won at Sundance was for neorealism. And we feel every uncertain second of this brave young woman's days-long journey, dodging disgusting men, like literally every step of the way. Um, so that said, I, I did find the movie, like I don't think it's a perfect movie. I think it's a little didactic at times, and it definitely wears its opinions on its sleeve. Like every single man they meet is loathsome from uh, Autumn's like really weirdly hostile and like menacingly smoking father to her manager at the grocery store where her and her cousin work who like disgustingly kisses their hands like during the thing it's just like it comes out of nowhere and it's so disturbing and disgusting and then there's like there's a big part of the movie takes place at a Planned Parenthood in there the movie is so it's like a hagiography of Planned Parenthood like uh it he treats the Planned Parenthood employees it makes them seem like literal human angels. But then again, like, it's not, I don't, I, it's not that I disagree with that. Like, I agree with that. I think that's good. And I support that. And I'm glad that this movie exists. And it's a very, like, important story to tell. And it gives a look at things you read articles about, but you can kind of, like, not understand the reality of. And that's kind of what it's trying to do. Um, and I thought it was, you know, very successful in being very empathetic and very, like, well-made. And it did feel just extremely real, uh, Caleb, what did you think about this movie? Uh, yeah, a, a movie about uh, access to abortion as much as it is about the actual characters in it. And I think the, uh, Eliza Hittman does a great job of just splitting that whole tone of, it's her journey, but it's also what's very much the entire plot is just her access to this abortion she's trying to get, which she has to go across state lines to do it. So there's like not available to her in a small town, uh, but then when she actually gets to New York City, which um, when she gets there, uh, and this is just a specific thing to me that no one else is going to care about. Uh, uh, it's at 44 Court Street, the Planned Parenthood in Brooklyn. Uh, my job is at 32 Court Street. It's literally <laughs> right next to my, like, she, they get off at the subway stop. Uh, I'm like, wait, this is, that's where I work. And uh, I had no idea there was a plan that was Planned Parenthood. I, I've, I've seen people stand right outside that building. I had no idea that was a Planned Parenthood building. That's <laughs> there so was weird. an office there. I mean, that's great. I, I, I looked it up to make sure. I was like, wait, maybe they just said that because it's a movie. But no, it's a real Planned Parenthood, 44 Court Street in Brooklyn. That's so shout funny. out. Yeah, shout uh, out but to yeah. Planned Parenthood. I mean... <laughs> I mean, the movie, so basically, if you read articles with Eliza Hittman, um, she talks about how, you know, because the movie that came out this year, obviously, it hasn't been in development like a super, super long time. It basically started with her like going to the Women's March and it's uh, and thinking about the issues that people were talking about around that time and around 2017. And I mean, it does very much have that feel of like, you know, it's not an accident that they go to a Planned Parenthood. I mean, I would say it is literally like 30 minutes of the movie, which is only 90 minutes they spend inside of a Planned Parenthood with the Planned Parenthood staff being like, just making you understand why it's the things they do are important. Like, you, you mm -hmm. know, as an adult man or like a an old Republican or something, you might never think about what goes on inside a Planned Parenthood and the kind of person who needs the support of a Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. But this movie is trying really hard to like, make you feel that you know 
the movie also acknowledges the the extremes uh, and the different types of realities that abortion stories have. It's a singular abortion story, uh, and uh, hers comes from more of an abusive background. Uh, and we're not super privy to a lot of the backstory, which I thought was a very uh, yeah, I mean, cool. she's kind of just a blank, right? She's just like a blank. Yeah, like when you see her dad was abusive, like, oh, did he do something to her? But because well, you kind starts... of do think, like, is he the dad of the baby? Like, I was thinking that during because they make him seem yeah, so menacing, that... but without any, they never say why, you know. Uh, but yeah, then the, 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 the there's a scene opens up with her getting called slut on stage at this at the talent at this cool talent show. Uh, yeah. So it's like, oh wait, is that her ex boyfriend? And so it's like all this like or her current boyfriend. I don't know. Yeah, you know, not boyfriend, and but then, like guy she's hooking up with or something. It really does like build to uh, this one amazing scene uh, where the title from the movie comes from. I thought that scene was a fucking knockout. Uh, um, she's sitting there and she has to answer a series of questions uh, at Planned Parenthood, uh, and it all comes down to abuse of like uh, was. Uh, were you ever forced to have sex and stuff like that? And she has to answer never, rarely, sometimes, or always. Uh, and that's just like, uh, they leave the camera on a uh, medium shot of the young actress. Uh, I'm going to look up her name right now. because I think I she's like remember. a first-time Sydney, actress. S- S- yeah, uh, I think she might have been uh, some other things. But uh, Sydney Flanagan is her name. Uh, does a great job uh, in this scene. We just feel the weight of the world and like how things are scary for her. Yeah, I mean, she does uh, an amazing job in that scene, right? There's a New York Times, uh, like, anatomy oh, of the this, scene yeah. with yeah for that scene. I mean, because it's Basically just, director's it's very simply yeah. done, you know, but it's, like you're saying, it's just one shot on this character, Autumn. But the way that she go, the way that she goes through so many emotions while being given, like, a medical questionnaire, because it's something that, you know, if... I am lucky enough that I have got, answered many medical questionnaires and it's not really very dramatic. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I've done questionnaires like this and you just are kind of like, yeah, you know, it, you're just very kind of blase about it. And it just seems kind of an annoying, weird thing to do, but she has an intensely emotional experience answering this questionnaire and it, and at first she's not, and then it kind of sneaks up on her and it's just, I mean, it is great. It's great, great, great to watch. It's probably the first time she's said saw a lot of this stuff out loud. Like uh, her friend that goes with her, like we're again, we're not privy to a scene where they just like the friend, uh, her friend cousin, just understands what's going on and just they automatically go to New York together. And we don't really see a conversation between the two main characters, and that's a, a powerful thing just to keep it more mysterious, and that adds to a, a whole mundane aspect of this movie. Not mundane, I guess the word is neorealism is what it was <laughs> lauded for. Yeah. Uh, but that adds to this very much whole aspect of the movie reaching that uh, these stories are so every day that these stories happen multiple times a day like she goes into this clinic and there's a full appointment this is she's just one of many stories and they're all different stories and that's a very powerful thing powerful thing that's a powerful thing uh, i agree it's a powerful yeah. thing uh i really liked that uh she was she made uh, the character autumn made the decision early to get the abortion uh and we're not privy to a lot of her reasoning why she wants to do it other than that the fact that she is a teen with uh, meager means and I really like that as well it's just all a bunch of mysterious decisions well I mean uh, this is like so much of modern filmmaking right and this is something my brother used to complain about all the time when about a tv show or a movie which is like they don't show any more the parts where anybody like discusses things or decides to do things they just show like things happening so I think this is a sure. big movie on that like you're just watching people's behavior while like things happen you know 
and that's where all the you know characterization and emotion is coming from like as far as like the actual lines i like there's hardly any dialogue in the movie right it's just like people uh, looking people looking at stuff you know and weird things happening like you said earlier like the uh when the men come in like uh, we're on the bus and that creepy guy is in it played by uh i always forget this actor's name theodore uh theodore pellerin he's on the show on becoming like. a god in Central Florida. On god. He's amazing on that show. He's so good on this, uh, and he's so different on that show. He's very different. So when he popped up, I was like, "Oh, I like this actor." Wait, he's very creepy and weird, and I don't like him. <laughs> 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 Which is a good rage for this young actor. And it's it's so funny because on um becoming a god, he's playing like more of an adult, but at the same time more of a weird cartoon where like everything yeah, he's yeah. doing is insane. What in the H E double toothpicks going on here? Whereas in this movie, he seems like a real person, but like a teenager. Or maybe he's like 22 yeah. or 23. Uh, I think he's like, yeah, 22 because like, oh, I didn't know you're not 21. You know, stuff like that. Oh my God. Yeah, I know that was so. There's a scene where he invites them to go to a bar and they're like, um, we're actually not 21. <laughs> and they're like, we're 20, which is like, they're like 17. You know, they're not 20 at all. And he takes them to a bowling alley and pays $90 oh to play God. a game of bowling, which I thought was crazy. I mean, that's how much it fucking like costs. Times Square that's something. how much it costs to go to bowling in Times Square, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, because they're at Port Authority. They must have like walked over. They were probably at the, what's that upstairs place that there's all those ads for? Is it like Bowl More? Where it's oh, like yeah, a club yeah. and it's like, also you can do bowling. Be bold. Bowl More Lanes. And this whole time, like she, uh, this was that the, uh, she had, so her abortion takes uh, two days. She has to do the first procedure and then so her cervix widens. Uh, and then the the next day he has to go in for the actual procedure. Was that like, yeah, it was between those two days. So she's like very much in the thick of like, I'm not going to do it. Also, yeah, she had, to, they had to, these two teenagers had to stay in New York overnight with no place to stay, which Twice. is very scary. And they were Planned Parenthood offered them a place to stay. Oh, and she says no because she like doesn't want to. I don't know. She doesn't yeah. trust them, or she doesn't want to bother them, she, or so, something. Yeah, right? like, I don't know. Don't it's know. just a stoicism that this. Uh, it's built from her self defense because exactly. she's abused. Uh, and the only time it ever breaks is after the end of the ordeal, where everything is taken care of. And she like it has this little nice little bit of acting from Sydney Flanagan, where like you could tell she possesses a strength that she didn't even realize she had. And that's where the movie ends. Like they don't really seem like get home or like what their parents think of how they do it uh Can her I mom's you... played by sharon bonnet by the way oh is that true i didn't know that yeah her mom was sharon bonnet so <laughs> sings funny. a song at the during the credits um that's amazing i mean she was a good she was good she was good the mom was good she's like the only sympathetic person in the world but also it seems like she's not able to actually like do anything to help her but she's yeah, like sympathetic a, you know <laughs> there's a point where uh Sid, uh, Sydney Flanagan Autumn uh, breaks down a little bit and calls her mom but doesn't say anything where it's like ooh oh, yeah it's like kind of rough you're kind of rooting for her to just like you know be more of an adult but she's a kid she's like 17 years old yeah exactly she's just a kid it's I mean scary. it's amazing I, the I, stuff that she does I mean just the way the movie shows you like yeah. It so effectively communicates being because the whole thing is they come from Pennsylvania to New York and um and basically you can see them get off of the bus and realize like they this they hadn't thought through this part of their plan. Like they knew where the address was, where they were going to the Planned Parenthood and they knew how to get a bus to New York. But then like, as soon as they got to New York, they basically get out, they like walk into Port Authority and they just like, look like they're freaking out. They're they're, like looking around and they like, don't know how to do anything. And they're like very stressed out. Very scary situation. Uh, And they also made a very poor decision to bring a giant suitcase with them. For what reason? Uh, For, I don't understand uh, even what they did. I know. Uh, 
I guess they had, I don't, I, I really couldn't tell you. I feel like either, it was just to make them look more pathetic because they didn't even, was, they didn't uh, change their clothes ever, did they? No, uh, it did track a metaphor for a lot of emotional baggage right. they're carrying oh, as yeah, well. sure. And they do never, they never show what's inside of it. Twice they show security <laughs> guards open it up. It. Twice they show security guards open it up and look through it, and but we never, we don't see what's inside of it. <laughs> I was like, kind of a fucking mystery. Like, there's somebody going up and down stairs, uh, and the suitcase breaks its handle at one point. Oh my god, I know it's just pathetic. It's just they're lugging this giant suitcase, and they're like pulling it through Times Square, and they're like, yeah, (laughs) pulling it up and down staircases, and you're just like, oh my god, girls, for the love of God, like please. And nobody, nobody at any point is like, oh, do you want to drop your bag off here? (laughs) Which I feel like somebody would say in real life, like, like, dude, I bet that fucking scummy guy, he would have been like oh, you should just come and drop your bag off at my place and then we can just hang out and then you can come get it again later, you know? <laughs> and then that's a good way uh, to like get them to his house, which is like the kind of thing he wants to do. Uh, um, you you mentioned this word earlier and I'll just uh, like to reiterate it uh, as we uh, move on a little bit. Uh, they are brave characters. Like this oh, yeah. very scary situation. You're, they're escaping a harrowing situation, entering another harrowing situation. Uh, and yeah, I remember being 17 and... and Luckily, I won uh, in a male and had a comfortable life. So I have wow, no frame okay, of reference. But wow. this, uh, so I have no frame of reference for much of this. And I was uh, so concerned for them. And it really is uh, a great movie. Uh, I'm sure everyone's heard about, who follows film has heard about how uh, good this has been. And uh, yeah, I, I mentioned earlier that Amazon <laughs> lowered the price. I didn't want to do it. <laughs> For the podcast when it was twenty dollars. Yeah, so I have two things to say about this. Okay, number one is that like Caleb has been so resistant to doing any of these new release movies on Amazon because they're twenty dollars. It just seems to like offend you in some way. You like refuse to even watch them. It's less than two well, movie tickets. You go to Alamo all the time. Like, I know, but most of them aren't that good. And the ones they are, like, I knew this one was going to price was going to come down, which I was right. And also, like, there are like twelve dollar movies we could stream, which we have done. We with, have done, uh, yeah. Baccarat, but I just feel like these movies are the conversation for some reason. I mean, I guess we should do Trolls World Tour if we want to do like the conversation. Um, uh, but actually, wait, you... number two, I want to say another thing to you, which is that for me, this movie was still $20. And it, the price was not dropped. It was $20. Whoa, it was uh, 10 for me. How did you, through what way did you do this? On Amazon. Was like, it only like a week? Would you, what did I you don't watch? Know. I watched, I watched it, it two days week. ago. Yeah. Maybe it was only last week. Because I did Maybe, it on yeah. Amazon Prime on my TV, and it was twenty dollars. It's back up to twenty, yeah. Yeah, so fuck it was like they so really got so, us, yeah. So, but the thing is, I don't so care. I'm fine to I play said. twenty dollars. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm, I don't care. It's well, fine. that it was ten for me. <laughs> I made a money, Caleb. I don't give a shit. Twenty dollars, man. Um, that's never really. Sometimes, always. <laughs> the next movie we're going to talk about is. Uh, I actually don't know what year this movie is from. Two thousand fourteen. It's obvious, child. Boobs are really bad. Maybe you're pregnant. Oh my god. You didn't use a condom with pee farter? <laughs> I remember seeing a condom. I just don't know like exactly what it did. After spiraling from a breakup, struggling stand-up Donna has a one-night fling that has some plot thickening consequences. She gets pregnant. Upon realizing this, she wants an abortion. A very straightforward decision from a human who makes fart jokes for strangers for a living. Complicating this and setting a nice tone for the rest of the movie is that the one night stand dude is still in the picture and he's kind of a great guy. Uh, Obvious Child is adapted from writer-director Jillian Robespierre's 
own short film, but really comes to life through its star, Jenny Slate. Slate's daffy charms not only fill in the gaps in a narrative sense, but also in her depiction of an in her 20s Brooklynite, it finds a modern progressiveness in her attitude about reproductive rights. A Sundance hit, Obvious Child, was also an early A24 success. Chris, tell us what you think about it. Yeah, dude. So just to start at the very, very top, uh, when I saw the A24 logo and I knew this movie was from was from 2014 i was like what the fuck like i totally did not know it was an a24 movie i was like fuck yeah that's really cool that this was an a24 movie like good for them you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh i'll talk about sure i did so a little bit of research on it because uh a24 really started in 2013 uh spring breakers uh bling ring were their first big breakouts i got i got shorts every fucking color uh they had like six movies in 2013 uh, 2014, they really took off. They had 11 films that year, uh, included uh, Villanueva's uh, Enemy with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, The Rover, uh, A Most Violent Year, and one of their most successful movies, uh, Under the Skin, along with uh, Obvious Child. So, A24, that's a very diverse list of movies. Yeah, so right. It's a very forever shout out A24. Forever shout out to A24. Dude, it's, it, Under the Skin is what's like, especially when they, when it came out, it was such a like... A, such an odd, weird, scary movie. Like the way they marketed it was to make it seem very ominous and frightening, um, which was cool. It was cool, you know. Yeah. It was very 2014. Understated performance, yeah. But so yeah, it was funny to watch. Obvious child. I'd actually never seen it before. Um, there's you know uh, Kevin Hares who does the theme song. You know, a Gabe Liedman is his ex boyfriend. So like oh, that's I didn't know that. yeah. So they worked together for a long time. And obviously, he's one of the stars of the movie because he's best friends with Jenny Slate. They used to do this show together in Brooklyn called Big Terrific. Was that their show? Big Terrific with also Max Silvestri. With also Max Max Silvestri. And I feel like there's a specific joke about that bar in Williamsburg where they used to do that show in this movie because there's a moment where the one-night stand guy, he comes in and he's like, oh, the comedy, did I miss it? And they're like, yeah, I was in the back room. And he was like, oh, I couldn't find it. I feel like that was like, that happened all the time at that bar. Like, what what, what was the name of that bar, Caleb? Cameo Gallery. Cameo. It was like impossible to find the back room. where It looked like the door to the bathroom, but it was actually a whole other room where they had comedy. Yeah, but then you actually go through the door and it's like a, there's a weird giant light sculpture in the stage. <laughs> and it's like huge in the back. But it's like, yeah, it is literally like a door to a bathroom. Um, but so I was like, that's actually pretty funny that there's that hyper specific of a joke in this. Um, but it that is kind of leads me into the thing that I was going to say about it, which was um, was just so hyper. It was, it just really took me back to like a time and a place in Brooklyn and like being around that age. Mm-hmm. Like she's supposed to be like 29, I guess. In her 20s, yeah. In her 20s. I'm trying to think of a way to put this, but like, I really don't, I didn't think that her Jenny Slate's like performance, like aged really well from a certain point. Like it just made me think of, I don't know, like looking at it again as being like a 37 year old, she just seems like really annoying. I find her like really, really annoying in this movie. And it's uh, also really weird because so much of the movie is her stand up. Like, I don't know, maybe like 20 minutes of the movie, which again is 90 minutes long is just her doing stand up, which is like, you're, which is cool. I mean, I love stand up and I love alternative stand up, but it's like, it's like kind of a lot. It's like kind of a lot for like a, it's supposedly a, it's the, a narrative uh, whole movie. opening uh, credit scene. Uh, it helps with it just moves over a lot of the narrative functions of the movie. Uh, like the very first thing in the movie is her stand up, which is a lot of pee and fart and shit jokes. And, uh, yeah. Uh, 
her weird vagina and how and it's she kind of ha- it's kind of hacky by today's standards her stand-up, yeah uh, it know. is also very much uh as a person who saw her do stand-up back like that it, it was almost like word for word <laughs> yeah i mean well i know I, I had seen um gabe's act and i had heard some of those jokes i think or at least like versions of those jokes but it does uh establish uh not only the humor of the movie, but also of the child, obvious childish of the character herself, uh, Donna as well. Like she is a very immature person who <laughs> likes to do this. My favorite scene in the entire movie, uh, this is giving me a little, but um, she's just walking and she goes, shit, he goes, what? No, you just stepped in shit. <laughs> he looks down at his shoe. And then she just laughs at him. It's like she laughs at him for like three minutes of him just being like, okay, this is bad. Uh, this is the only pair of shoes I have. And she just, does not not laugh at her. I mean, it's very interesting, right? Because the whole movie is that she has this one night stand with this guy, but then she doesn't really want to see him anymore um, for question mark reasons. And she doesn't want to see him anymore. And But he's like really nice to her. And so they keep, and the, but they keep, fate keeps bringing them together. And um, their relationship is a really good example of a kind of relationship you don't see like that much on film and media, like which uh-huh. is a romance that is mostly based around like joking around and acting stupid together. It's just like, that's the way they flirt and have it's fun. It's a early thing. Uh, I yeah. Think I mean, I think that's a... cool. I mean, that's like kind of what my relationship is like. So like, it was nice to see <laughs> it on the big screen, you know, uh, to get into your question mark about like why she doesn't into him. There is a, 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 the bulk of it. Well, she is coming out of a relationship and uh, it is a one night stand that it is first thing. Uh, and then, she gets pregnant by him and doesn't know how to react to that. Is oh, uh, fair, also, yeah. uh, <laughs> but even before that, she doesn't. She blows him off before she knows that she's pregnant, though. Also, yeah, they refer to him as pee farter. Pee farter, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> which I think is a very funny way to reference a guy that you just met. Oh, and so when we, when we say they, it's um her best friend is that woman from Crystal Fairy. Uh, what's her name? Oh, it's Gabby Hoffman. Great, Gabby Hoffman, a transparent. Yeah, her, be- her best friend's sister. Gabby Hoffman, yeah, her best friend. Um, I also yeah, like find uh, Gabby Hoffman very... really annoying. I have found Gabby Hoffman really annoying, like her entire career. Like maybe perhaps you could elaborate on that and be a little bit more specific with some of your issues with me. I hate Crystal Fairy. I hate her in Transparent, and I hated her in this movie. She's just like the kind of person that I really dislike, and I don't think. I mean, I know these are characters and she's acting, but also not at all. Like, I know that I'm, <laughs> you know, I just really don't like her. I really don't like her. They do have a very uh, abrasiveness to it. I, I like Gabby Hoffman. I know, but this it's movie like is... cool. She's like cool, but like, she's just like an extremely privileged person who has like so many problems. But you're like, do you have that many problems? You seem like extremely privileged to me. Yeah, I think she sucks. <laughs> This movie's full of rigor. Uh, she doesn't suck. Uh, she. This movie's full of rigors. Uh, uh, I would be not myself if I didn't point out that Richard Kind is in this oh, movie. Oh, he's so good. He's so good in this movie. He's he her dad. A puppet, who's a pup- he's her dad. And he's a puppeteer. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it, mm-hmm. honestly, it was so great that I was like, oh, maybe I should be a puppeteer. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the boyfriend's played by Jake Lacey, who... Um, Oh no, he still he fills a very nice uh, rom com leading man role. This like uh, started his career of doing that, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know. He's always uh, not Jim on The Office on the last oh, season of The true, Office. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. That probably I mean set him up for. It. But I always uh, I don't I'm not I've never like liked him in big roles. He was also Fran on Girl in the later seasons of Girls. I'm a big fan of him in small roles that he does. Uh, a movie recently from last year, uh, Diane. He was the uh, addict son. Uh, there's a movie called Mrs. Sloan. Uh, where he plays a hooker at I had a small role in, and he was also in a uh, Carol. He was the husband in Carol. Oh, that's right. But he had um, kind of a similar role in Carol, where he was like, nobody liked him for reasons he couldn't control. Yeah. <laughs> but he has a good, uh, I don't know, uh, 
blandness that is uh, you can project things onto, <laughs> which is a talent for an actor. Uh, I think because this movie, uh, outside of its uh, abortion comedy-ness, uh, it is a pretty standard rom-com. Yeah, it uh, really is, yeah. Uh, but they get out the cliches early enough, like the breakup is an early voicemail message scene. I mean, it uh, definitely they, feels like a movie that's like they just got it together to make it a movie. Like I'm saying, it's it has like at least twenty oh, to yeah. thirty minutes of stand up because there are other people. Gabe does his act. A couple other people do their acts. So like they oh, like yeah, another, with another, all another... the stand up, it like just makes it to ninety minutes. You know? Yeah. With uh, there's an, uh, a scene with another stand up who just talks, which I just feel like they cobbled together with David Cross where he's just they just go to his back to uh, your guy's God, apartment yeah. uh, and it's David Cross who's great who's, he's uh, like hitting on her and he's like trying to hook up with her funny person yeah yeah uh, his job is just make awful jokes uh, it's 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 yeah it does feel like a lot of it, it feels like a, lot of, uh, a very padded on scene uh, yeah this movie clocks in at like 86 minutes <laughs> and, I think it might be uh, 96 it might is, is, is it really 86 I think it was 86 oh dude that's rough um <laughs> Yeah, you know, and you'll notice, like, you know, I would say the bulk of Jenny Slate's work since this movie, I mean, she's been acting and not, like, writing, per se. Like, she does voice work now. Like, she's on Big Mouth, which is really cool, and mm-hmm. she's on Bob's Burgers a lot, which is really cool, and then I think she does a couple other cartoon shows. Like, that's mainly what she is doing now. Yeah, she might She have was a... so hot for so many years after this movie, right? <laughs> like, she was, like, huge. And I'm not saying she's not successful. She's doing great. But it's, like, it's just crazy that, like, to th- think back to this time and think of what a huge deal this movie was and like oh, yeah, how she got hot like a, she was. You got like a critics awards and uh, film festival nominations for this movie. Uh, and she, I, I, uh, it, maybe it doesn't hold up. I still think like she glue, she is the glue that makes this movie. Oh, work. I mean, without her, it would not work at all. Yeah. Though. I mean, I mean, talking, we are talking about like true life stories, let mm-hmm. the, the star really shine. I mean, this is a movie that is just like the Jenny Slate it's like the jenny slate's acting real like every scene mm-hmm. she's just like making some different like face you know and like mm-hmm. being cued in some in new way and it's just like she is just really going for it every single time the camera is on her you know a lot of funny lines she gets uh and in comparison to uh other pregnant people in movies uh like think of uh juno and how i don't know that didn't ring as much true as this performance did for me at least uh or even uh uh, a, a often criticized pregnant woman in a movie, Catherine Heigl in Knocked Up, uh, which is a very male perspective movie. So I really appreciate yeah, that right. uh, there is a movie that is this funny because it is a funny movie. Uh, there's a lot of good shit jokes in this movie. <laughs> Diaper jokes too. Uh, anal jokes. <laughs> yes, yes, there are all those jokes. Yes. But it's, it's, it's a very worthwhile movie. Um, can I just say one thing that's a very New York thing that you probably noticed too? So the, her abortion costs $500. Oh my God, I went literally. She, yes, please go ahead. And she says, that's $500. That's my whole rent. $500 is your whole rent. I know. I was like, what the fuck is she talking about? <laughs> she lived in Williamsburg in like 2013. I know. No is she ac- way. She actually <laughs> lived in New York at the time that she was making. Like, why would you let this line go into this movie? Yeah. And if and if you want to have her say that, that if you want to have her say that, like, have her have like ten roommates and have it be a joke. Do you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Yes. Like, she has a nice apartment. She has a nice. It's like, her- in, like in Greenpoint, maybe I don't know. I couldn't tell. And her rent is five hundred dollars. Like I was like, yeah. and there's no point in it because she almost swallows the line, but she does say it. And you're like, why is this even in the movie? <laughs> like, it's so. It really took me out of it for a minute. It honestly did. 
I made sure to write it down as my notes. Like, I'm not letting that slide, guys. I had was literally just looking at that note on my phone, like as you were saying that. I was like, I was like, oh yeah, I gotta bring that up. Like, oh, also, can I just say that this guy, the guy, the guy who's the star of the movie, um, the boyfriend, uh, what, what's his name again, Jake? Uh, Jake Lacey's Jake character's Lacey. name is Max Brown. Is he? Do people think that he is hot? Is is because at some point they refer yeah. to him as being like, "Ooh, so hot." Is I he, just is think he, he was a nice guy. Yeah. So he was a, a a hooker in a movie, and I thought that's when I started questioning, like, "Oh, is he hot?" I guess people think he's hot. I don't think. I think he seems like a nice guy, and he's like pleasant looking, but I don't mm-hmm. think he's like hot. I wouldn't describe I him did. as being hot. When I was looking at his uh, list of roles and stuff, uh, he looked at his age. I glanced at that age. Uh, he's my age. He's thirty-five. I'm thirty-four. He's uh, a little bit older than me, uh, but he—he's an eternally looking like like twenty-seven guy. Yeah, right. Yeah. So maybe that's hot. <laughs> is, that, so. is that what hot is? I mean, he does have kind of like a Disney prince face. Like it's very broad, you know. Oh sure. Maybe girls like that. I don't know. I, I do think uh, that that's why he gets the parts he gets is because he doesn't because he doesn't look hot. He looks like like reliable you know like and so it's like you know you should want him but you're kind of like "Mm, well i don't know (laughs) do i uh i would still say that this is his biggest movie (laughs) yeah it probably is right i think it probably is yeah but this movie was just ridiculously big though it just was like beyond uh, how big it was it was made for a little bit over a million dollars it uh for how Little that is, it made $3 million, which, you know, $2 million for A24 early going. That's, That's uh, they probably weren't expecting yeah. much. Yeah. All right. You got anything else to say about this, Caleb? I talked about Richard Kind enough. Wait, I actually do. Can I interrupt? Sorry to sorry to interrupt, Caleb. No, I talked about Richard. I know I prompted you to talk and then I started interrupting you, which is like very rude. I really apologize. We should talk about the most important connection between these two films, which is that they're both about abortion, right? And so when I was talking about uh never really sometimes always and i was saying and you were saying about how the scene that the the titular scene where she has to answer all these questions is so emotional and so uh you know and i was saying it it, it's something that is mundane to most people but to her it is very significant and that's kind of what the movie's all about right i mean that's the title of the movie Mm -hmm. This is the perfect counterexample because mm-hmm. Jenny Slate in this movie could not be more of a like upper middle class, privileged, rich yep. white woman. Like the I, the question of her being able to get an abortion is like does not enter into this movie at all. Like mm-hmm. that's not even part of it. Like she said, no point is like she is, is she in danger or feel uncomfortable. Not even for one second during this, mm-hmm. and she definitely she. Makes a she joke. Yeah, yeah, she's making jokes during the doctor's exam, and when she wakes up in the like recovery room, and there's almost an exact same sp- sequence in uh, the other film, it's just like where there's like a soft glow on her, and there's like nice music playing, and you're just supposed to think like, oh, she did it. <laughs> okay, so we've been having some. We've actually been having some wicked technical difficulties during this episode, uh, mostly because my phone keeps dying. Uh, we're recording it over the phone, and my phone keeps dying, so it's totally my fault. Uh, I will take it 100%. But um, that means that I keep losing Caleb, and I've been trying all sorts of like ingenious hacks to kind of record our audio. And um, this is the very end of the show, spoiler alert, and um, we this is just the part where we say which of the movies we like best. So uh, I'm going to say, uh, Caleb, which of these movies would you pick and just please bear in mind that 
we had been recording already for like an hour by the time we got to this point. And uh, I just figured we could just record it and we'll just deal with it later. And uh, Caleb doesn't sound like stellar, but you know, it's fine. Don't be a jerk. Okay. All right. So here's Caleb. Yeah. As they're both about abortion uh, in very different ways, I do think both are important in that sense. Uh, Cause again, there's no, it's a snowflake thing. No two abortions are the same. Uh, if we're doing actually best choice movie right now, I would have to give it to never, rarely, sometimes, always. Uh, it really did knock me through a loop. I have continually thought about it since I saw it uh, last week. Uh, and with Obvious Child, this is the first rewatch I've had of it since it was in theaters. Uh, and yeah, it didn't really hold up so much as a rel- uh, it's more of like a relic of its time. But I do appreciate it movie. And I do appreciate uh, Jenny Slate, who I do love a lot in Big Mouth and Publicity. I have to shut up publicity. Okay, that's my best choice. Okay, so I'm back. So like I said, it was not, it didn't sound like great, right? I mean, it's not, it's, but it's my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. Um, so I just would like to say I agree with Caleb and never rarely, sometimes always is the movie that I would also pick. Um, Obvious Child is, you know, it is a fun watch and it's a fun movie and it's definitely funny. But um, as far as a film, you got, I got to go with the other one uh so that's the show this week everybody uh, thank you so much for tuning in uh tune in next week when i promise i will have my phone charged and uh goodbye You sound you sound good. You sound good. I think it should be fine.